Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I am your host as always, Steve Holt, and we have Jeff Nippard on the show. And uh, this is really going to be quite a fun chat talking about Jeff's off-season. Uh, and we did have Jeff on the show, I think, over a year ago. We were just chatting. We weren't completely sure how long ago it was. And both of us, I think, have come an incredibly, incredibly long way since then. And it's actually kind of shocking um, to even think about it. But Jeff, if you don't know, is a drug-free bodybuilder and powerlifter, has a Bachelor of Science in uh, Biochemistry, He's coached uh, female bikini and men's bodybuilding and kind of coached at a high level um, and is actually scaling that back slightly now and focusing on YouTube. So he's a massive content creator. And I'm sure if you're watching this on YouTube and uh, you should pretty much probably leave this and go and search Jeff Nippard and go and look at all the great content he's got over there. He's got over 500,000 subscribers now and it's actually kind of crazy to see how fast that's growing. And that's massive credit to Jeff because the content is fantastic. Um, he used to have a podcast. You might have even um, seen Jeff's podcast or rather might just be, it's still probably live actually. I think it's still live. You can still get those old downloads, which are fantastic. Um, so definitely check that out as well. And I, I believe you have a competition uh, this year. Are you in prep? Uh, actually, well, that's something we can get into. Um, yeah. I'm on the fence about this year. It'll, it'll either be this year or next year. Um, but yeah, there's something down the pipe. Exciting eventually. stuff. And I couldn't do an introduction to Jeff without stating that he's five foot five because <laughs> I just, I remember seeing that on your Instagram and just like classic, you must get asked that far too many times if you have to put it yeah. on your Instagram. <laughs> yeah, man, I just, I just try to, I just try to own it really. Um, but yeah, it is something I get asked a lot because like, you know, especially in photos, I do look really muscular. So then people will see, you know, I'm 170 pounds and they're like, wait, something's not adding up here. How tall are you? So I just have to let everybody know. No, I mean, uh, the amount of questions I get on like Instagram about like, I don't know, it could be something as simple as how I, I have oats and it's like, what's your recipe for oats? It's like, it's just mm -hmm. water and I don't measure it. Yeah. <laughs> so people are just really intrigued by these things and the mystery yeah, behind yeah, it. Yeah. But um, yeah, if, if you haven't seen Jeff, he is super jacked and uh, that is a big reason we've got him on because he obviously walks to walk and talks to talk as well. Um, so we're going to dive into kind of off season lessons because you've had, I can't, when was your last com competition, Jeff? I actually haven't competed since uh, November 2015, um, so it's been a little over a little over two years for me now. Um, so yeah, I've got lots of firsthand experience with the off season, especially right now. How's this off season gone compared to like previous off seasons? I think well, I, I actually think um, I'd have to dig back, but I think this is the longest break I've actually had from wow. the stage, um, and I think. Uh, other than like my immediate newbie period is probably I think the best some of the best gains I've seen especially in terms of like weak points that I've been trying to to really hone in on so uh, yeah I think that as a natural especially an advanced natural um, that that long time to really like allow the muscle to cook is is important mm -hmm. yeah actually yeah. I, I like the way you do that you want to be well done you don't want to be rare going out yeah there. yeah, so, yeah exactly um, yeah. I know personally you kind of even I competed in 2014 then competed just the year gone in three years and like in reality three years flies by um but yeah. the the gains you can make i mean they can be impressive but only if you really do cook it and you allow that time to really sink in uh, especially yeah. when you take into account recovery times and all these things so um i don't know where we want to start do we want to start with kind of your approach to your nutrition over your off season whether that's changed over your off season um and kind of any lessons that you've made there and you may talk and i'll end up finding something i want to delve into uh, yeah, sure. We can we can start with the nutrition stuff and then then get into the training if you'd like. Um, so for me, I would say one of the biggest things that's changed um, this year is that I've taken more or less a fully intuitive approach. Um, I'm not sure how, how how you feel about about intuitive eating uh, as a I guess dieting structure, but I found it to just be really good for me in terms of like my lifestyle right now. Um, as you know, you probably know, like I put. I'm putting a lot of effort into um, my content creation and the business side of things. And so I've just found that intuitive eating allows me to kind of like, I guess in a way take a little bit of like my mental energy that would go into, into um, I guess fine tuning more of the things there and then focus on some of the other things that are really uh, important to me right now. And I don't find that it, it really compromises any, any results. Um, and I guess more or less the, the basic way I do that, uh, I would say the, the, the first thing is, is that I've got like 
at least 10, 11 years of experience with bodybuilding nutrition. So I guess over the course of that time, I've really sort of paid attention to what it is that that works for me in the sense of like what I can sort of get away with. Um, and uh, that, I think that that's that's been really important. And that's allowed me to be more successful with it. Um, and then also rather than using nutritional variables, I guess, as my main metric. So like say, you know, tracking the macros, I instead will will track uh, body measurements on a scale for the most part um, and let that, you know, rate of gain sort of determine whether I push forward or push harder with the nutrition or, or pull back a little bit. Um, so th that's basically been my like kind of simple guess and check method. Um, and then other than that, I really try to focus on bolusing my protein intake uh, across four to say six meals mm -hmm. per day. Um, and at this point, I know what roughly 30 grams of protein looks like. So I can estimate that pretty easily. Uh, usually it will come from like a high quality protein source. Um, and then other than that, you know, I try to focus on uh, hitting my like fruit and vegetable requirements. Um, so I've got a habit of eating one or two kiwis every day. I think that covers at least my vitamin C. Um, and then, you know, you want to be getting at least two to three servings of, of vegetables today. And then at least that, I think, in, in fruit as well. Um, and once I have those bases covered, uh, just a general focus on eating. Um, nutrient-dense foods, uh, foods that are higher in fiber when it comes to carb sources. And then other than that, I kind of just let the macros fall where they may. Um, so that, that's been my general approach to, to nutrition. Um, in terms of rate of weight gain, uh, I've been going for about, a, roughly speaking, a pound a month. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been doing that with the purpose of actually trying to increase my body fat uh, percentage, which is probably a little bit controversial within natural bodybuilding spheres and we can we can argue about that um but i've i've basically found that carrying a greater body mass in total uh has basically allowed for greater performance in the gym uh, much better recovery especially when it comes to um, recovery from some injuries that I've, mm -hmm. I've been battling with for the last couple of years um, and then also uh where i've had this two-year off season i've just found that i just do look a lot bigger especially in person and in clothes with that higher body fat percentage um, so let's say over the last i would say six months or so i've pushed myself from something like 15 percent body fat which is normally where i would cap it off like i would yeah. normally actually probably not even get there um, up to uh, now I just hit like 20% and then I'll, I'll, I'll fluctuate between like 19 and 20% wow. um, and at this point I feel I feel very good uh, I feel um, more massive than I ever have and uh, like I said my performance and recovery in the gym is really good um, so uh, at this point what my, I had originally planned to do was to run a mini cut, uh, get myself maybe back down closer to that, like, you know, 15, 16% range, um, and then build my way back up. Uh, but what I've found is that it's getting actually quite difficult for me to actually gain any more fat. It's like my body really right. doesn't want it. <laughs> um, and so I'm thinking if I can just keep piling calories in and continue to make this progress, I don't really see a need for me to mini cut at this point, especially since um, I should say I'm not sure uh, if this is going to be the year that I'm going to be getting on back on stage. If it was, this would totally change. Yeah. But in the context of having another whole year, um, I think that this is the this is the approach that makes the most sense for me right now. No, that's really um, cool. Like you touched on so many interesting things there. And I think, to be honest, I think the most interesting thing that people will take from that is an advanced bodybuilder going quite probably far from your stage weight i imagine you're a good number of pounds over that now probably further than what most people recommend and i think yeah. a large majority of our listeners will think of the kind of the golden zone for body fat being like that 10 to 15 percent and if you go much over that your kind of partitioning ratios are down kind of regulated and things like this and uh, you touched on a point that I actually made a recent Facebook post, which is just really related to this because I was basically saying how the percentage body fat for kind of partitioning ratios and that being a good place to stay is kind of good, all good, fine and dandy. But um, when we think about maybe a, a body fat settling range or where we feel our best, basically, kind of if people think of set point theory, um, where your body fat likes to be or where your body likes to be and it feels good and productive. And my point was that you training is the biggest stimulus for growth and if you're feeling better at a certain percentage body fat even if that is relatively higher surely kind of progressive overloads like the ability to recover and train harder like you commented on is all going to be greater so you're actually seeing better gains so actually it's really 
it's kind of refreshing as well um, to hear that you've kind of taken that approach. Has it, was it at all like a mental struggle? Like, did you ever think like, this is hard? Like, especially as well, people would think you're an advanced bodybuilder, you're a pro, surely you're being meticulous with your nutrition. It kind of sounds like, hang on, Jeff's let his body fat go up and he's doing intuitive kind of eating. That's quite a relaxed approach. Did, were there any like mental struggles with letting go a little bit? Um, not for me. And one, one thing I should say is that uh, when I say 20% body fat, I actually think that that's an overestimate. I should say this because it really um, depends on the measurement tool, what kind of number you're getting. Um, so I use uh, bioelectrical impedance. It's a, it's a scale and it basically estimates your whole body off of off of a, an estimate of your lower body. Um, so it's an estimate of an estimate. And uh, I think that I tend to store more of my body fat on my lower body. So my upper body can stay quite quite lean like I still have visible obliques some striations in my shoulders if I'm when I'm training under good lighting whatever um, people probably wouldn't tend to associate that with 20% body fat yeah. um, and so I actually do think that this scale is uh, consistently high in terms of what it reports uh, because I had a DEXA scan done and I think the DEXA came out um, this was when I was a lot leaner but when I compared it to this scale it was like at least 5% um, lower than what this scale was reporting um, so maybe a true it, it, I may actually only be like a true 15%. Um, but I think that that also just drives home the point that these numbers are sort of sort yes. of arbitrary to begin with. Um, as long as you're, you know, using the same measurement tool over time, um, then you're getting some kind of like consistent reading that you can use um, as a as a tool to, to measure changes, basically. Um, but uh, what was what was well, psychologically? Yeah, uh, was like, it difficult. Yeah. Was it str- yeah, to see, I mean, especially someone like yourself, like, and you, I mean, particularly, I, I can think of La McDonald, who's like, who talks about when guys get bodybuilding shredded, their whole outlook on what lean is and what fat is changes. And obviously you've mm-hmm. been there and it's been a while now, but you've it's still recent enough to know what being shredded felt like. So yeah, we, and a lot of people struggle with seeing that body fat come on and you're kind of striving to let it come up. Um, did you ever, yeah, was there any struggle with kind of experiencing that? Um, not, not really, to be honest with you, um, because for me, I, I could be different than a lot of guys, but I actually uh, feel more confident, more comfortable, like more stacked in my clothes when I'm bigger. Um, I've always wanted, I guess, to I, I've always kind of liked that that more stacked look, especially like looking up to bodybuilders like, you know, Lee Priest, Franco Colombo, like those guys are my height and they just look, they look massive. Uh, and that, that's sort of a look that I've always really liked. So the only way that I can attempt to emulate that is to be, I think, at a higher body fat percentage as a natural, because when I get stage shredded, I'm like 150 pounds, which at five, five is not, it's not a very big guy. I can look very big on stage with the proper posing, lighting, um, tan and all of that sort of stuff. But just out walking around in the gym, like, or in a t-shirt or something like that. Um, I, I look pretty freaking small actually. So I, I would from, from like, from my own perspective, I would prefer to be uh, bigger and stronger and, you know, fill out my clothes a little bit better. Um, and I feel like that's a, a helpful way for maybe guys to like sort of frame it is like, a, I kind of try to have that shift in perspective where you can accept a little bit more fat gain. Um, but I, I have dealt with that in the past. Of course, I've competed like six, seven times now. So, um, I've definitely dealt with that initial period where you're just seeing all this fat go on and you're not seeing any gains. Um, and that, that can be a difficult, difficult period to push through. Um, and I will say that there is always that, um, I guess like inflection point, I'll call it where like, it feels like you're just fluffy now and like, you just got a, you just got a mini cut. Um, but I feel like in my experience, if you can push past that point, you will start seeing, um, new muscle go on. Uh, you'll start to see it maybe like redistribute or partition a little bit differently. Uh, uh, and then your physique will start to take on kind of a new form. That's been my experience with it. Um, a lot of guys who will start to be like, yeah, I'm going to embrace this mentality. I'm going to start to bulk. I'm going to get massive. Uh, and then they start to see like a little bit of chub around their midsection. They're like, ah, I don't know about all this. Um, especially since, you know, sometimes, especially, you know, in in uh, good lighting, you know, with posing, you can actually look quite a lot worse if you're not as lean and that can be really discouraging. Um, but I encourage people to, to sort of push through that and sort of like embrace that mentality. I've, I've been calling it bear mode, which yep. is a, a term I've borrowed from, uh, Alex from, from alpha destiny, who's another YouTuber. Um, and I did an interview with him. Um, but I think that, I think it's a healthy mindset to, to embrace. And it does, like you say, you know, allow you to be 
a little bit less um, compulsive with the, the tracking and that sort of thing. It, it frees up a good bit of lifestyle flexibility as well. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's a really healthy approach to have. And it's kind of refreshing. I think a lot of people generally do struggle with that aspect. And when you think about focusing on performance, thinking about focusing on how you look in clothes rather than how you look naked and keeping the goal, the goal, the long-term goal, like for, for someone who's advanced like yourself to get that big, like to gain any more muscle, like you need to almost force it um, to, a, to a big degree. So now it's really interesting to hear. And along with the body fat percentage and really good point there, because I was going to say, I was going to call you out on the 20%. I was like, are you sure you're 20% body fat? That seems quite <laughs> yeah. high for like how you're looking. But I mean, yeah. the fact that it, I mean, it distributes differently on different people. So um, I guess you're fairly fortunate in that it's more on the legs because then you can mm-hmm. kind of feel okay and on, on the beach and things like this. And I know for myself, my face just explodes, kind of gets bulk face and I'm like, oh, now it just looks chubby so i think all of those things can play into it and did you want to say something on that jeff sorry yeah i was i was just saying i mean like if, if you're going to be someone who, who wants to to give this a shot a shot or embrace it um a big thing is um body hair facial hair um so you know you can cover up a, a chubby chin with a with a beard if you can if you can grow one um and i i found that to be make a pretty big difference in terms of like just making you look like a bulked baby to, to making <laughs> you look a little bit more masculine um and the same thing goes for the muscles um a lot of bodybuilders as you know will shave themselves squeaky clean and that's good because it exposes the the striations when you're lean but when you're not lean that just makes you look like a smooth baby um (laughs) so you've you i think you've got to be willing to like let the hair grow out a little bit um and i talked with alex about this on my channel and he references something in i guess art or sketching called cross hatching which is basically like it adds a lot of texture to some kind of drawing when you add those cross hatches now the striations serve this purpose when you're lean when you're not lean body hair can sort of fill in and, and cover that a little bit um you you look at some of these like strong men guys right these guys who are like six six four hundred pounds um i feel like those guys would just look so much softer if they didn't let their their body hair grow out um so that's that's something i've done that's a little bit different this off season as well and i guess that even goes further into the bear mode mentality of the hair yeah exactly uh, coming yeah, yeah. All over. and no i can agree i actually it's funny i referenced um growing out my beard when i was in contest prep because it kind of hid the cheekbones and all of that um and i know pascal the other coach at revive stronger he's currently like bulky and he's grown out his beard because it kind of covers everything so no and really interesting to hear about the cross um like the the actual art component of that and whether it draws the attention in the eye and things like this so um the other question i had for you actually was so you were measuring body fat percentage via the bioelectrical impedance and also taking scale measurements were there any other measurements you're taking were you taking like girth measurements um did you like take progress photos anything like that Oh, well, I'm always taking photos. Um, so that's, that's sort of, yeah, that's, that would be one thing. Um, I have been measuring my neck actually. And that's another, another thing that I feel like we can, we can touch on here because I think that that's another huge contributor in terms of like how, how impressive, how muscular and big you look, uh, in your off season is, is that neck and trap development. And it's something that a lot of bat bodybuilders, especially natural bodybuilders neglect. Um, and it's something that I've noticed every single time I've dieted down is that like this whole area here just completely disappears uh, my face gets like you you just alluded to right you grew the beard in to try to hide yeah. just how like emaciated your face can look when you get that shredded right um and it, it will just make you look a little bit more lively and healthy uh, if you have that facial hair um but what can also really really work is uh is hypertrophy of the neck muscles um and that's something that i just realized in the last maybe year or two Um, and I feel like it has made uh, a really big difference. And so when I started my neck, my neck was actually really skinny. Um, even for someone who like, you know, uh, genetically, like I have thick wrists, thick ankles. I have like, I guess what you'd call like the good traits for, for bodybuilding, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of like, you know, the rounder muscle bellies, um, and that sort of thing. Uh, but my neck for whatever reason, genetically is just always very slender. Um, and then I have like more of a defined jawline, so it makes it almost look even more slender. Um, and so one thing that I noticed was when I would diet down, that would just become more and more exaggerated. Uh, so I got to thinking, I think just like completely independently of anything I had seen that like, you know, the neck is, is a muscle, just like any other muscle you apply that tension stimulus to it. It's, it's going to adapt. And so, uh, I started training it directly. And, um, when I started, I think it was 
13 inches or just under 13 inches when I first started. Um, and now, uh, it's up to just over 15 and a half. So I've added like two and a half inches. Um, and so that is one thing that I directly measured and that, that's been pretty motivating. Um, 15 and a half inches is kind of like, you know, not, not like huge. Like there are guys who are like wrestlers and stuff. They have like 18, 19 inch necks and those are huge. Um, but for me, uh, going from like having, what I would say like a skinny na- neck and like minimal trap development to some even just like say like an average uh, neck or like maybe slightly bigger uh, I would say has has made a huge difference in terms of just like my overall presence and you think about kind of the neck and you think about that increase in like two inches might not sound a lot to people but um, when you think about the percentage increase that that is like that's an, mm-hmm. quite a small kind of a necks aren't big so to make any kind of inches of progression is massive mm-hmm. so yeah um, no that's really cool and I think a lot of the I mean if listeners know anything um, about you Jeff I think they know the kind of the chat you've had on the kind of neck development and things and I think it's definitely people are interested in I think it is an overlooked area I think a lot of people do think about the traps but maybe just not the neck and I know I've personally never actually I, I still haven't tried training my neck um, it might be something I go down. I, I'm quite gifted in the trap development, it seems, but um, right. neck. I'm not. So, I'm not so sure about neck. And actually, I'm. I, I'm slightly conflicted on the neck stuff. Only, and you probably mm-hmm. know it much better than me because I haven't actually looked into it. But when I just thinking about training my neck makes me kind of a bit uncomfortable. Thinking about kind of, oh, I've tweaked my neck before. That's never been mm-hmm. nice. Um, I wonder what the impact on other lifts could be. Um, so I don't know if you actually want to delve into that right now because um, I'm, I'm sure the listeners will be interested. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's a legitimate concern. Um, but like, you know, like anything, I would say uh, the the main thing is to just, you know, take it slow and progressive. Um, you're not going to like jump in and do like, you know, 45 pound uh, plated uh, neck curl your first time. You're going to slowly uh, work it your way up. And I think that as long as you're doing proper warm up, uh, like anything else, I think that it's it's been very safe uh, in my experience. And this is something that athletes have done really forever as far as I know um, especially like wrestlers uh, boxers um, and the, you know they've always included these uh, neck specific strengthening exercises in the routines and if anything I would say it just you know would help you in terms of athletic performance and especially if as a fighter um, and so I would uh, I would for sure um, not be too too wary of that and just apply the same basic safety principles that you'd apply um, really before training any muscle group in, in terms of like you know dynamic warm-up and pyramiding your way up in terms of, of weight and then just being steady with the the progressive increases over time Mm -hmm. um i was just gonna say have you ever did you ever experience obviously when we train muscle groups like for the first time we normally get a fair bit of soreness i don't know if the neck is an area that actually particularly gets sore did you ever have like doms within the neck and oh yeah how did that go kind of like yeah that might put you off lifting i mean everything involves the neck yeah, I mean, um, it, it's it's definitely uncomfortable for sure. Uh, the first few times you do it, it's gonna feel like I mean, it, the, the expression goes like a pain in the neck. It's literally <laughs> yeah. like meant to mean something that sucks, so it does. Um, and yeah, it's just like any muscle, you know, like you feel it, and it's just like if you to touch it, it's just sore. It's it's like uh, any other muscle. One thing to be wary of if you are gonna do it is something that. Uh, is called they're called zingers and it's basically like you know how sometimes if you sleep the wrong way you'll get like this kink in your neck where you like can't turn it to a certain side without it it hurting um i've gotten a few of those and i feel like they come from in my experience basically not warming up properly and doing weight that's too heavy for you with bad form um and uh, i i found a way in my training to just like completely negate those and uh, it's basically just been doing you know doing a full uh, dynamic warm-up so side to side uh, stretches front to back stretches um, doing head circles before training um, I'll do like 30 reps of just direct neck curls lying down on the bench first uh, and then I'll do 30 neck extensions and I also found this just like personal experience um, doing uh, curls and extensions in many different planes of motion so like you know doing like diagonal curls this sort of thing as, as a part of your warm-up before jumping into the actually uh, the actual loading work has been really good at, at reducing the frequency of those and I wouldn't say I've gotten one of those in like months and months and months and now uh, I guess um, like the repeated bouts effect has sort of started to kick in I don't really get too too sore anymore um, but that's obviously not the and it really driving anything anyway so that's a good thing 
and with your training did you kind of do it like you would with other isolation work put it to the end of the workout or did you kind of do it first because i don't know you it might have been safer to do it first potentially i would do it i would do it at the end honestly um and this would be i guess like an impetus for me to want to skip it a lot of the time because i would yeah. be like done training back for something and i'd be like eh, the neck like you know the judges if we're being honest like this isn't for bodybuilding i don't think um because i don't know how much the judges are really taking the neck into account so if you're purely a bodybuilder you may not even really have to worry about this i personally excuse me i personally find it does add to the completeness of the physique it's like sometimes and i feel like even myself i've been like this is like you almost see like that's a photoshopped on head and i feel like the reason for that is because there's no mes- musculature to hold it there's no neck musculature to hold it up and a lot of natural bodybuilders tend to have that look to me especially when you get like the really dark dream tan on the body and then the face is like a little bit paler and then it's like held up by like a skinny neck it's just it really does have a photoshopped look pops, um pops just uh pop why can't I say the word popsicle stick? Yeah, type. Exactly. <laughs> like lollipop head. <laughs> um, but so, but that's probably just like one of my my personal preferences. But um, I think that yeah, in terms of like just looking more jacked in general, um, especially to like an unbiased viewer, I feel like it does carry more weight uh, in in terms of um, general impression than I think people tend to realize. Um, one thing in terms of concerns that I would probably pay attention to is uh, risk for the development of sleep apnea. Right. Um, so if uh, one of the, the major risk factors for developing sleep apnea is overdevelop, uh, overdeveloped musculature of the anterior neck muscles. Um, so if you do want to avoid that, you could probably just stick to developing the back of the neck by doing extensions and that sort of thing. Um, but in my experience, that uh, I obviously haven't had to deal with that. And I think that that tends to happen when you start to get to like the really big uh, neck circumferences, like, you know, 18, 19 inches, then you start running risk of, of that. But up until then, like most of most of the natural guys who are like between like, you know, 14, 15 inches, something like that, which is pretty normal, uh, I'd say you can get away with it for quite a while before you have to really worry about anything like that. Cool. And if people want to learn more, they can head over to your channel. I'm sure you've got loads of references going over this. I, have you even got a guide on it actually? Because you've got a load of guides yep. on your website. Yeah. So um, yep. yeah, I definitely recommend kind of go to source. Jeff's been doing it and kind of proofing the pudding. Your neck's grown a, a bunch. So um, in terms of, I know people want to hear about it. Your off season, obviously it's been like almost, well, two years. Um, you talked about mini cuts. Have you done any cutting within those two years or has it all just been steady kind of gains? Uh, what's happened in that time? Yeah, I think I, I did a, I did a couple, I did a couple mini cuts. Um, let me think right now. Uh, I actually did one. I wouldn't even call it a mini cut. I would almost call it a full blown fat loss phase, uh, because I was getting ready for a, a few photo shoots. So I didn't get stage ready, uh, but I actually got very lean. And then coming off of that, uh, it's not like I've been doing this bear mode bulk for two years, by the way, which is part of the reason why I want to continue to extend my off season. Um, coming off of that, I did more of a, a lean bulk, which I feel like worked out really well for me it actually allowed me to um, get to a point where I was still quite lean but very filled out yeah. um, and, and that was a that was a good look but you know you know us we're, we're never satisfied so I wanted to, to keep pushing that um, and I think that um, that was when I, I really kind of started to embrace the the whole the whole bear mode bulk and and see the merit behind that um and uh so there was that one with that one cut for the photo shoot and then uh i did another little mini cut just because i felt like you know things were getting a little bit you know carried away in terms of the body fat more so than they needed to so uh, i cut down something like five five pounds maybe mm-hmm. five six seven pounds and then uh, just continued it again and now i'm at a point where i feel like at this point i would normally run another one uh but like i said uh, i feel like man, the, just the performance benefits and the fact that, uh, you know, my caloric intake has gotten to be, uh, quite high. Um, and I I feel like at this point my body is like resisting further weight gain. I feel like I can just keep riding this wave and just sort of like sit here at like that, like quote 20%, um, and see, uh, see, just see what it brings basically. No, nice. And, uh, I guess that's kind of, 
a nice insight for people to hear because obviously I mean, if you're gaining a pound well yeah you, I mean you haven't even been aiming to gain that pound every month and mm-hmm. um, doing that for that period of time you'd obviously get quite far um, in terms mm-hmm. of you talked about kind of calorie intake and intuitive eating and um, do you have like awareness of are you aiming to hit like a protein number are you aiming to kind of prioritize carbohydrates at all or are you just letting kind of hitting protein hitting kind of a rough calorie figure in your head once you've tracked for as many years as you have you kind of understand where you are um are you you doing anything kind of any precision there or is it really quite flexible it's pretty flexible to be honest with you um i i would say like probably roughly speaking i'm i'm aiming for around 3500 calories a day just to give you some kind of ballpark uh keep in mind my my lifestyle is fairly sedentary i do a lot of work uh, at the computer so that's actually quite high for me Mm -hmm. um when i'm contest prepping i always have to dip below 2000 calories so i'm not one of those guys who can can diet on super high macros um and then as for the protein i I usually I don't track this very closely because um, I think that protein requirements while in a caloric surplus are actually pretty freaking low. It's like it would be kind of hard for me not to meet it. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is just something I don't think I need to be very anal about. Um, But like I alluded to, I think that um, in addition to total daily protein intake, I think that the distribution of that protein intake is actually pretty important. I think that there's like uh, accumulating evidence to support the idea that how you space that out throughout the day actually pro- it probably matters maybe more than some people uh, do acknowledge. Um, that isn't to say you can't you know bolus it or you can't absorb it if it was all you know bolused a little bit more heavily. But I think that uh, if you're looking to optimize, I think that's one thing that you can quite easily do. I mean, most people tend to eat four or five meals anyway, uh, so I try to space that out somewhat evenly, and I just try to aim for 30 grams of, of protein in each of those those sittings so for me my protein intake is usually at least uh in the in the range of like 150 to 200 grams per day and i think that as long as i'm hitting that target whether or not i get more is just dependent on what it is that i'm i'm eating that day um and then in terms of fat intake i do think that there uh is some merit to keeping that somewhat lower like when you get up into those higher calorie ranges i feel like if your fat intake gets carried away that that probably could be bad for uh, nutrient partitioning. Um, it, I don't think, probably isn't fueling performance quite as well as maybe a higher carb intake. So I try to keep my fat sources somewhat to a minimum. So like I'll still go with like lean cuts of beef. Uh, try not to like have too much like dirty fast food that sort of thing. Um, I try to emphasize a little bit more of like a higher carb intake than a higher fat intake. So I do try to keep that below um, like 90 to 100 grams a day as like a maximum. Cool. Yeah. No, I think that's really interesting and good for the listeners to hear. And the only other thing I think I personally want to ask about on nutrition before we delve into training is, um, and I know you're really, really credit to you, Jeff, for this, because I know you're really honest about the fact that you, you realize you have pretty good genetics for bodybuilding um, and kind of you grow muscle in a good way and like you look great for um, for what you do. And I don't know whether you put any credit towards the fact that you can get almost get away, quote unquote, whether or not um, there's a more optimal approach out there doing the intuitive eating um, method because of your genetics or do you think um, it's more down to your kind of habits you've developed in the past and that it's not getting away with it. It's just the fact this is actually what is kind of going to work for you. Um, honestly, I feel like more people could get away with it than you realize, like, quote, get away with it. It's, I mean, like, it's a, you, not to, like, come at you for this, but, like, you, you make it sound like uh, it, it's, like, a bad thing to just eat, you know, according yeah, I, to I preferences that, and this sort of thing. I know, I know you don't. I know you don't. But that is usually how it's framed yeah. up. It's, like, you're being naughty in some way, right? Um, but I think that that isn't the way it should be. I mean, like most people don't really think too, too much about their nutrition. Maybe some people could think more about um, their food choices and that sort of thing from a health perspective. Uh, but I feel like um, this is sort of a, a realistic end goal that I think a lot of bodybuilders can and perhaps should uh, aim to get to. Um, and I don't think I can do it just because I'm gifted genetically or what have you. Um, I feel like anyone who maybe isn't gifted genetically but wants to also have a, a reasonable lifestyle uh, can can do it as well as long as you pay attention to those few things. Um, you can't just like, you know, take your hands completely off the handlebars. You have to have some sort of control. And I think that that's where that experience thing comes in. Like I sort of know, I can intuit where that, like how, where and how that control should be applied. Um, and, uh, but I think that outside of that, I really feel like, uh, people could, 
stand to benefit from um, having a little bit less rigidity when it comes to tracking the macros and all that sort of stuff. No, I think that's absolutely fair. And, and right, like you know, I was I didn't mean it in, a, in an attacking yeah, sense, yeah. but you do see people, and I actually wanted to kind of bring it to the attention to the audience that um, you it's not like you don't care. Like you care a lot about your results. You want the best results um, and you'd be doing kind of everything you can to provide that sort of situation and I, I was kind of bringing it to the floor where people think oh I have to be like that guy bringing Tupperware to meals and things and I have to make sure my nutrient timing is like bang on otherwise I'm missing opportunities for growth and um, I just I'm not sure whether the whether that's even worth it um, and, and the actual fact is you can control a few variables like looking at your body fat percentage scale weight and kind of making sure to dose protein appropriately and kind of eat well overall a well-balanced diet and you can actually do really well in your off season so that's kind of the message i was trying to get across and um i agree i don't think it's necessarily i mean genetics um i don't think that that's what's kind of going to provide the benefit there um but if we delve into training wise um i definitely think this is going to be interesting for kind of the audience and stuff and i don't know first of all actually i just want to kind of hand it over to you Jeff and in terms of your off-season training main takeaways main lessons that you've kind of taken away like things that you've realized maybe isn't what kind of worked for you that well and other things that have worked particularly well yeah, I think I think a big part of this offseason for me has been um, more of a focus on prioritization. Um, so in terms of focusing on really my weak point uh, development, uh, like I alluded to, you know, I think that my this whole area up here, like my neck and upper trap area, especially is something that I, I have all the judges have always mentioned, like every single show I've done, they said, I think you need a little more upper traps. Like when you hit that front relaxed pose, you kind of disappear up here. Um, and I think that a part of that, honestly, I think maybe even perhaps subconsciously, uh, is the development of the neck musculature, um, but yeah, also the upper trap. So that's something that I've really been hammering home, especially for the last year. Um, and I've prioritized that in my training in a number of ways. Um, and uh, biceps is another thing uh, that I found uh, has always gotten um, critiqued uh, on my own physique. And I think that you really do, you know, as a bodybuilder, need to, to listen to that feedback and not just run these like generic bodybuilding routines and expect your weak points to improve. Um, for me, I've let, let some of my strong points take quite a lot uh, less focus in my training and I've put a lot more of my focus onto these areas and um, on my own channel I, I just set up a sort of my own fundamental series to give people context in terms of like how to plug in all this stuff they're hearing about training and all these like you know different acute training variables and uh i think that apart from you know safety enjoyment like this the whole sustainability thing and then you know number two on the rung i put in effort like you, you just have to apply effort you have to be willing to work hard you have to have that right mindset you can have all the the scientific variables in place and you can know everything about the literature but if you're not willing to apply that effort um then uh, i don't think you're you're really going to get anywhere and you know i live list having listened to a lot of your stuff having interviewed a lot of the you know the brightest minds in the industry myself um i've never found a way uh, that can be optimized so well on paper that it can uh, basically get you out of having to put in that work right um so so, so I, I rank that actually very highly. And I do think that there's some literature to support that. Um, some of the stuff on, you know, training to momentary muscular failure. Um, there's been new studies on, um, or there was a new study um, looking at, and this was in a, a, an issue of mass. I don't yeah. know if you've maybe mentioned it uh, on the show or not, but uh, basically it found that like an obscene number of people are training basically below what we would call like an RPE five. Um, just it's probably not enough to stimulate any significant growth. And I think that this is why so many people who are just training on these, like, you know, I'm going to use the term intuitively, like in a negative context here, but just these like sort of like program hopping type people are just, they just don't have enough effort in place to see significant uh, hypertrophy, I think. So I rank that very highly. And that's something that I apply very strongly in my own training. Um, and then after that, I have uh, a progressive overload and periodization as being another extremely important factor. Before you get to any of the stuff about like volume, frequency and all that, I think that these are like the kind of the bedrock. Um, and the reason I rank prioritization so highly is because um, this stuff it really does have to be individualized. Um, and that, that's something that I, I really realized myself with this off season is if I want to get better at these body parts, I just have to give them more attention than generic body 
bodybuilding routines uh, tend to give. And uh, that's that's what I mean by prioritization. And it ties in really nicely with the principle of specificity, which is basically meaning you have to train in a way that's in accordance with what your goals are. Um, so I just use the example of bench press. If, if your primary goal is to improve your bench press, you have to find a way to do more work on your bench press, whether that's like increasing the frequency or training it earlier in the week, earlier in the training session, what have you. You have to find a way to give that priority in accordance with the, the specificity principle. Um, so it, it's very fundamental stuff, but it's something that I feel like a lot of guys, uh, especially advanced guys, kind of tend, sometimes will lose sight of and they yeah. find, find they really get caught up in the acute training variables and forget about just like the, the basics in a way. Um, so that's something that I feel like I've really come back to broadly speaking um, this off season. Yeah. And out of interest, when you're talking about kind of the intensity and kind of reps and reserve or RPE, mm -hmm. um, and I haven't actually read the uh, latest issue of mass, but I did know they did this. And um, it was yeah. quite interesting how people like don't put in enough work. And I know with my, and I think there might be a typical population with it. Cause I know for myself with my clients, if I program them like a two reps in reserve, um, they, they'd be lucky if they have one rep in reserve sometimes, like they almost mm. go too hard. Um, and right. it's just the type of person I work with. Um, yeah. for yourself, obviously you work with intent. Um, do you kind of periodize your um, relative intensity how do you attack that uh, what are you doing with that um, I would say uh, I, I wouldn't say I periodize intensity too too much other than to do like the occasional deload or, or week off or what have you um, but for for me for the most part um, I'm usually leaving like you know a couple a couple reps in the tank for my my heavy stuff um, and then for some of my more metabolic type work um, pump style training um, I'm not afraid to, to take those sets pretty close to, to failure mm -hmm. um, because I feel like especially with those sets the failure is a little bit blurred anyway I mean like if you get a little bit loose on the technique with with those at all um, you can extend the set you know an extra four or five reps so I try to go to that point where uh, I guess in my head I would call it something like an RP9 mm -hmm. um, something like that and then I, I'm usually taking I, this is something I've been doing forever, but I'm usually taking the last set uh, of the last exercise for a body part to to failure, sometimes beyond failure um, in terms of like doing like some forced reps, yeah. uh, drop sets, that sort of thing. And that's something that I do use quite regularly in my training as well. Cool. Um, yeah. And on the aspect, I guess, of periodization, and it was ranked fairly highly in your kind of foundations, what periodization are you using for bodybuilders or for yourself um, as a bodybuilder? Because I know like some people don't almost believe in periodization for bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. Other people are very strong with it. Like you'll probably have heard Mike Isretel on the show and the listeners will certainly know Mike and he has a, a strong kind of um, approach towards his periodization for that. So what sort of approach have you taken? Yeah, you know, I, I've I've been a little bit on the fence about periodization. I think I think it's more important for strength than hypertrophy. I feel like you can see really appreciable hypertrophy even without uh, periodization. Um, but I guess it, because periodization is such a like loosely construed kind of like ethereal idea yeah. anyway, it's almost hard. Like it would be kind of hard to design a program without any periodization, like almost any variety in with, even within the training week almost counts as some form of periodization. Right. Um, but uh, in my own training, I, I've basically come, I think, to the conclusion that like periodization is really important insofar as it provides variety in training. Um, and uh, for me, I do tend to use somewhat of like a loosely block periodized approach. Um, so for me, that usually I find the simplest way and the most effective way in my experience to periodize training is to periodize frequency. Um, so you mentioned periodizing effort. I, I have done that where like you'll have some blocks where you're like going like almost balls to the wall it's like very high intensity block and then you'll have other blocks where you're leaving more more reps in reserve that that sort of thing um and i've heard brad schoenfeld talk about this um as well and i, I think there's some merit to it uh for me i found paradising frequency is the best way to do that and i basically do that by alternating between some kind of push pull legs or like a modified push pull legs that includes an arm day and uh and uh, an upper lower split where the frequency goes from say like almost two times a week uh, or let's say, just say roughly speaking like two times a week up to like roughly three times a week um, and then that allows me obviously when you change the frequency you can't like keep the volume the same so like the volume per session will come down um, and then when I do 
uh, my upper lower split, I tend to have a little bit more of a, a strength focus as well. Um, so I tend to focus more on like, you know, training efficiency, doing more compound lifts, uh, more of like a focus on steady progressive overload. Then when I switch back to my push pull legs, I feel like it's a little bit more of like a, a flexible structure for me. Um, and then I'm able to basically, uh, be stronger on a lot of the the more higher volume stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, that's been driving progress forward for me pretty pretty freaking well. Um, honestly, uh, it may sound a little bit simple, like in comparison to some of the more like advanced, I guess, like periodization structures. But uh, I think at bottom, really, all that you need to consider with periodization for hypertrophy, or at least I wouldn't say all you need to be concerned with, but in my experience, a big part of it is just how can you periodically uh, vary your training so as to like keep progress moving yeah. forward. Um, and that's the way that I've found to be most effective. No, I, I completely agree. I think whenever I've tried to make things more complicated than almost they need to be, it makes things difficult to track, difficult to measure. Yeah. And then I kind of lose focus on what is driving hypertrophy, progressive overload, which is exactly what you touched on. I think, I think the simple methods are kind of sometimes yeah looked down upon and actually they're, they're the ones that you should probably be focusing most on, especially for bodybuilders when periodization is like you say, is a smaller aspect of what we're doing. Um, mm-hmm. when you, when we're talking about progressive overload, is there anything you're particularly focusing on? Obviously you hosted the maximal coverable volume kind of round table, um, and whether or not that kind of after hearing their thoughts and then going through things yourself, is there anything you used from that to kind of make you think about how you are progressing things, especially as like, obviously volume is becoming more and more a known thing that drives hypertrophy so long as you've got sufficient intensity. How's that? Has that changed how you train at all or um, have you tried things and then realized maybe this isn't all kind of what it's meant to be or um yeah i mean i i think well that that was that was a great that was a great round table like i some some of that stuff i feel like is basically setting up like a more of a theoretical understanding um so that you can apply it um but for me it ultimately does come back to like almost like a guess and check over time like for me i've kind of found like a sweet spot in terms of like what i feel like i'm able to do in you know an hour hour and a half training block um that can continue to drive progress forward without me like you know running at at like an increased risk of injury um or overtraining or overreaching or 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 what have you um without like flirting with that line too too much um and with me like i have been banged up a little bit like i've i've run some crazy stuff man like i've run like especially like a few years ago like i've done phases of training where i'm squatting every single day you know six times a week i've done very high frequency six day a week bench press blocks um i've done like very fancy training protocols and they can work but the i found that like i think over the last couple of years i've Um, I guess I I definitely have become probably like less enamored with like always shooting to be like towards that uh, MRV um, zone and more so towards the idea that like over a training career, I think that like some of these minutiae tend to matter less as long as like the effort is in place, if that makes sense. Um, And like I've talked to some guys who've been around uh, the sport for a really, really long time um, at the top of of natural bodybuilding. um, And I just had a a conversation um, that I'm going to release on my channel with with John Meadows. Oh, Um, awesome. Yeah. And, and I feel like talking to these older guys, it's almost like you, you really have to find something that's going to allow you to, to just follow through with it, be progressive with it over the decades. Um, and you know, I still, I want to be doing this when, when I'm 50, when I'm 60. Um, and, uh, I feel like sometimes trying to like ultra optimize these programs when you're still in your like early twenties or what have you is a way to kind of, you can't, you can get ahead of yourself a little bit and that can set you up for, uh, injury. So I guess, I've kind of come like, I guess I've landed somewhere in the middle between that like MRV, uh, minimum effective dose sort of uh, continuum or, or what have you. Um, and I've kind of found like, I think where that, that spot is um, for myself. Um, and uh, for me, you know, I, I tend to, to set this up in like, I guess a semi-flexible way where I'll have certain exercises that I'm ensuring that I'm progressing on. So like they're going up in, in some sort of fashion mm-hmm. um, and I'm not, 
always necessarily focused on overloading those with uh, weight or reps. Um, sometimes I, you know, I will count, uh, say like a, a slightly more controlled eccentric as, as a way of overloading. Or um, another thing that I've uh, come to start liking a lot is uh, overloading efficiency. Um, so I've been uh, paying a little more attention to my rest periods. So I used to go in the gym and be like, whatever, like if it takes me two and a half hours, like this is, this is my yeah. work. So uh, I'll take however long I need to get the weight. Uh, uh, that I have to get for this week. Um, but I found that, you know, if you can reduce that rest time, um, in a periodic fashion, just like you would with say reps or weight, um, you're actually, um, basically, uh, improving your, your efficiency in the gym in terms of like your time allotment. Um, but you're also overloading effort in a way because you have less time to, to let that fatigue sort of, sort of dissipate. Um, and I, that is, that is another way to apply, apply overload, um, especially for those of us who are, are really busy. I feel like that's another, another thing that not a lot of people really, uh, think about too much, but, uh, yeah, I guess ultimately it, it, does ultimately come back to uh, those progressive increases for me and allowing my training to have enough flexibility that it's going to be enjoyable enough for me so that I still love going to the gym 10 years down the road. And I think that that's what, what really matters mm -hmm. the most. No, exactly. And I think you touched on a really good point in that there are so many different ways to progressively overload and the, the key is doing something. So you are ensuring you are making things hard and harder over time and really kind of getting stressed out of what method you're doing that by is not necessarily the thing that should be stressing you as long as you've got a structure in place and then you can find ways of doing that then that that's really um all you have to worry about it and the, the shorter rest times is definitely uh, an interesting way of doing it because we actually had recently um borg um for Gailey on the show i always pronounce his <laughs> name incorrectly and pronounced it wrong on that episode as well but um yeah he talked about kind of obviously that method you every rep kind of um is going to be more effective because you're doing it under some fatigue and that's kind of what you're mm -hmm. alluding to there and i guess in that same sense if you're doing that then you're able to do more volume because you're kind of condensing your workout so um no that's really interesting and um, something I did want to touch on is obviously we've talked about progressive overload and that importance, but um, nutrition is obviously important to this as well. But in terms of like recovery, is there anything you focused on particularly with your recovery? Like have you, uh, sleep is becoming ever known that it's becoming increasingly important. Have you made any adjustments to things that you've done with your recovery that you've noticed have actually really helped things? Yeah, actually, um, I would say probably one of the really big things is, is sleep, um, especially lately, um, because when I was, you know, pumping out a lot of these videos, like there would be nights that I would pull all nighters, I'd be up editing, um, that sort of thing. And sometimes that's necessary. Like, you know, there's a given a, a take there, but, uh, more recently I've, I've really started to pay more attention to like having better sleep hygiene, trying to have like a little more consistency, uh, in terms of like when I, when I go to bed, when I wake up and that sort of thing. And I've been getting pretty solid, like eight hours every night. Um, which is, which is huge. It, it really is so huge. I think, um, even going from like something like five to six hours up to seven to eight hours can make a big difference in terms of your performance in the gym. And there's also like some evidence to suggest body, uh, body composition, uh, improvements. And, um, there's a case to be made for increasing it even further, like going to like nine to 10 hours a night. Um, if this is really everything for you, um, it might be worth it for you to try to, you know, squeeze in a nap, uh, in the afternoon or try to, if you can sleep in long blocks of time like that, it may be worth it. Um, there's some research in sprinters to suggest it reduces sprint time when compared to seven to eight hours to nine to 10 hours. Um, and I think that even though that obviously doesn't translate directly into hypertrophy. I mean, we know that like performance is the, the driver here. So sleep is really, really uh, a big one that I've honed in on. Um, another thing is, I guess, in a sense, uh, being a little more flexible with my rest days. Um, so there'll be, um, I, I even though I, I tend to, so like right now I'll be like, I'm running a, a push pull leg setup. Um, if there's a day that comes like say after a really, uh, heavy leg day or something like that. Uh, if I'm still sore, I may, I may just take that extra rest day. Cool. Um, because as we know, um, you know, t two times per week is, it has been shown like pr pretty much again and again to be better. But like, 
it doesn't it doesn't end like your body isn't necessarily on a seven day calendar right like if we're talking like very very minor differences between two times in seven days and two times in eight days like when does that start to give you like uh, diminish or like uh, less returns basically mm-hmm. right it, it, I don't think it's perfectly clear and there's so many factors that play into this that I think it, it may make sense to emphasize your recovery as long as you're doing it in like an honest way um, also for some reason this winter has just been brutal on me in terms of sickness um, and uh, I feel like if you can avoid getting sick I feel like that's just such a big yeah. thing in terms of like uh, just um, you know it, it, having more time where you're in the gym even if it's even if it's not like the most optimal thing if you're getting sick all the time that's like maybe a week where you lost training or lost progress that you would have had if you just hadn't gotten sick right um so i guess just like doing all the the simple things to to prioritize your health um and then when you do get sick i feel like uh you really just want to emphasize on like you know hydrating resting up and getting better so you can get back in the gym and then get back uh into it um and for me that actually required me to take a little bit of time off and one of the things that I learned through getting sick so frequently was I I do this little uh sick check. So I would actually go to the gym. Um, whereas a lot of people are like, you know, I'm really sick. I'm not sure if I should go or not or whatever. Um, I would actually go and uh, I would start with cardio and because you, you can, if you're not really, really sick, like if it's just like yeah. a head cold or something like that, you can do a little bit of cardio and that may actually help improve, um, immune function, help expedite your recovery a little bit. Um, so at the worst you get in a little bit of cardio and then after doing like 10 or 15 minutes of that, I'll have like an honest assessment while I'm in the gym, uh, whether or not I can follow through with the the weight training. And I've used that as a, a little check to sort of like keep myself accountable, um, through that. But if there's a way to keep yourself, prevent yourself from getting sick, like don't, you know, work yourself to death, focus on, uh, you know, good nutrition, healthy foods, like washing your hands, like, you know, like actually like singing happy birthday or whatever, like, especially if you're doing a lot of traveling and that sort of stuff, like keep yourself healthy, basically. I mean, like, that's a pretty big thing. No, really, I love those takeaways and actually um, kind of coming to a bit of a roundup, I definitely want to touch on kind of next steps for you. But I did want to round up on kind of just my thoughts then. I was seeing uh, the summary of talking to Jeff Nippard, who is a kind of pro-natural bodybuilder, very advanced in everything. And uh, what's really refreshing, and I think a lot of our audience will take a lot away from, because we talk to a lot of experts, um, they do delve into minutiae and I mean, overwhelmingly, the stuff we've talked about has not been minutia. It hasn't been, oh, I'm supplementing with this. I'm t- making sure to have like carbohydrates at this time, blah, blah, blah. It's very kind of simple stuff that's going to provide the majority of results. And I think that's really refreshing um, for the audience to take away. So, um, you know, thank you for that, Jeff. And yeah, to finally touch upon kind of future plans, because obviously we talked about whether this year there'd be a contest prep or bear modes continuing for another year and it'll be 2019. So yeah, give us your thoughts on that, Jeff. Yeah. So, um, I think, I think I'll, I'll announce this here. I haven't like explicitly like made this announcement on my channel or anything like that, but I think that this year I'm going to continue to work on those weak points. I've seen a lot of progress, um, in those areas and I feel like another year will just give me that much more progress. So, uh, my, my plan is to basically focus on my channel, uh, producing the best, most informative, high quality content that I possibly can, um, get the frequency of that up. Uh, I've hired a, basically a full-time videographer for the channel now. And my goal is to put out three videos a week um through like the some sort of like vlog content uh informative content and then also i'm bringing back uh interviews so i'm actually bringing back the podcast um and uh so yeah that's that's basically my my main thing this year is to focus on that i've really really taken such a strong passion to informing science communication that sort of thing and uh i think that um if i can I can do that, I guess, more concurrently with a bear mode bulk than I can with a prep. I feel like if I were to hop into prep, either my prep would suffer, uh, which I really don't want, or my outreach and my work would suffer uh, at this point. And as I'm sure you know, like if you're if you're going to hop into a contest prep, you need to have all of the external variables in a pretty stable place before you do that. And I feel like I'm not, I'm, I don't think I'm quite ready uh, to do that yet, especially with how things are just like steamrolling um, with my my channel and all that stuff right now. Um, so take another year off, uh, focus on the content content creation. And then in 2019, hopefully, uh, we'll see a, a much improved and evolved, uh, Jeff up on stage. So that's the goal. Really cool. Uh, and I really like that. It's, 
I think for a lot of bodybuilders, sometimes they might kind of too soon jump into a contest prep when if you're on something good, like the ball's rolling, let it roll. And uh, just concurrently, you're seeing the ball roll with your business and with your physique. So no, that's really exciting to hear about. And yeah, I can't wait to see your channel grow. And I'm sure everyone here is now really excited to hear that you're doing podcasts as well. Um, just make sure they're not as good as ours because uh, otherwise <laughs> we'll be on that level. <laughs> you don't need to worry about that. <laughs> no, it's all good. More content, the better because um, I mean, educating the masses is exactly what we're trying to do here. That's why we've got you on the show. Um, and I love the way you're doing it with YouTube because it's just so kind of interactive and informative and it gets the point across in to a different audience, I think. Um, I think I the people listening to this might not um, necessarily watch all of your videos, but I think a large majority of the people that watch your videos probably aren't going to go and listen to this um, because it's just not the sort of content they're looking for. So um, no, I think it's awesome that you're doing that. And it's really good to see. And I think refreshing because I think a lot of, I'm sure the listeners are aware of like a lot of YouTube's kind of saturated with a lot of maybe not the best content. So um, I'm great, like grateful to see that you're doing that. So a massive thank you to you, Jeff. I'll stop just blabbing away. Um, I definitely want to make sure obviously we've mentioned your YouTube several times I'll make sure that's in the comments below um, but you're on Instagram Facebook um, people can reach you over there so I'll, I'll drop those in the comments below as well um, is there anything else you want to kind of leave the listeners with or if they want to reach you um no that's pretty much it man like I said most of my efforts are into the YouTube channel now so that's where you'll find most of the stuff from me but I am I'm bringing back the podcast it's gonna be the Jeff Nippard podcast so if you're cool. a podcast listener um I do a, a similar but just less frequent thing to, to what Steve's Steve's doing over here um but yeah man it's it's been awesome to just see your your growth and development um on the stage and off the stage um you're you're killing it in in the podcast space right now so um yeah I'm a fan of the stuff you're producing so and it's good to see you've been keep yourself crazy busy I, I can see so it's good man <laughs> thank you so much yeah um, 